you have to you have to be in that person's shoes if you expect them to perform for you. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Adrian Ron of the Rockland Trust Company. He's a commercial loan officer at Rockland Trust, where relationships truly matter. Hey, Adrian, how are you? Morning, Mark. How are we doing today? Doing really well. Doing really well. So tell us, what is a commercial loan officer at Rockland Trust do? What do they do? Well, we wear a couple different hats. I think the easiest way to describe what we do is we're, we're a trusted advisor for our clients. So they walk in, whether they're a new client to us or an existing client, I guess I can start off with a new client. That's a new client. They come in and they say, hey, this is my business. This is what I do. Maybe they need some help, whether it's on the financing side. Maybe they need some suggestions for like and similar companies that I work with. Or they're looking to expand and they want our input. If it's an existing client, same kind of thing. Hey, I already know what they do. I already know their, their secret sauce. They're looking to grow, stabilize, acquire, sell. And I try to team them up with the right people at Rockland to achieve their goals. I love it. So, so tell me a little bit about that client base right now. Who is your typical business? It's markets full gamut. It's, I really try to pick them on the people versus the industry. But if it was an industry, it's, it's everything. It's real estate investors, real estate flippers, contractors, tradesmen. Um, you have hospitality, you have restaurants, you have insurance groups, manufacturers. You name the industry, we're most likely in it. Revenue size, same thing. It can be from startup to a hundred plus million dollars in revenue. Um, when it, it's kind of a marriage, if you will. So I really want to team up with the right people, just like they want to team up with me. Some people may not like me. So you know what? That's totally fine. I'll introduce you to someone else at Rockland and, and good luck. So tell me, what are most folks doing right now that we're talking about January 2022 as we're entering into this, this new frontier? What, what are folks coming to you for primarily? Right now, it's twofold. One, inflation is, is rampant. It's been rampant for the last, say, two quarters. Even just trying to get product in um, has been hard. So a lot of people are finally that are normally not needing a line of credit will come in and say, hey, listen, I need some, I need some access to capital just to help with this, this crazy time right now. Um, it's not always easy for them to increase prices on their side immediately. So it's a gradual increase. So the profit margins will drop a little bit. And as a result, they're, they're getting a little cash poor. Um, on the flip side, a lot of people with PPP still have money. There's a lot of money in the marketplace. So clients are coming to me and saying, hey, I got an extra couple million dollars sitting in a bank account. It's rotting or 
inflation is eating away at it. What do I do? And what's your advice? I say, hey, come on in, Becky from IMG. Come on down, talk to Becky. So depending on um, IMG is our investment management group. So it's wealth management. And it's, it's what do you need to do? What's your risk tolerance? Do you need access to that capital? Um, and, and then how do we structure something that makes sense for that company? And again, it, it depends on if you're, if you're a builder, or if you're in the professional practices, um, if you're a restaurateur, it depends on, on what you're looking for. And, and we kind of work backwards. So Adrian, how did you find yourself at Rockland Trust? More specifically, how did you find yourself as a commercial loan officer? So I entered this crazy world of, of lending back in the fall of 2008. Ooh. Right, when, right when the world was holding, we crash, crashed and burned. Um, to be honest, it was an awesome time to get into lending. So I started off in business banking, which is kind of, it's value meal one, two, three, or four. Yeah. You only have a cert- certain set products and services that you can offer your clients. And it's sort of how do you jam that person into those different products? Whereas commercial lending is more a la carte and more of a creative financing approach to, to things. Um, but yes, yeah, back in back in December, December 1st, 2008, I joined a, a large group. And, and it was a great opportunity, great experience, learning companies, learning the main street businesses that were struggling through that time and, and trying to hustle and work hard um, and still figuring out how we could achieve what they wanted to. And just because I can't do it doesn't mean I'm not going to continue fighting for that client and say, hey, let me find a home for you. That's not with me. Maybe it's with another financial institution. Maybe it's with like an SBA or a seed like group. Maybe it's, maybe it's hard money. Maybe there's, there's money out there for different businesses as long as they recognize what they're getting into. You know, let, you, you mentioned SBA. Let's talk about them for a second. What have they done in this current environment to help consumers and business owners? So they still have a lot of the products, the same old products that, that you you know of the 504s, the 7As. So if you're buying real estate, they'll they'll come in and, and help with 90% financing for owner-occupied real estate. Um, so that definitely helps companies. They they don't have to put as much down into it. If there's a, what we call an airball, if there's a gap between you're buying a company for a million dollars and all the assets are only worth 800,000, well, that 200,000, is what we call an airball or goodwill. So how do we finance that? Well, if the company's making a lot of money, we're, we're going off of cash flow. The assets aren't there. So that's when we'll drag in one of our CDCs um, and the SBA and say, hey, can we, can we attach a 7A on this maybe? Um, is there some real estate involved? So tell, tell us what a 7A is for the listeners. A 7A is a... SBA guaranteed loan. So while the interest rate may be a little higher than a traditional loan, the government is going to come back and reimburse if the world ends and blows up, 
and that company goes down. The SBA, again, according to certain terms and conditions, will provide a guarantee for that missing collateral. And so the bank feels a little bit more comfortable saying, okay, well, the risk is higher, so that's why the rate goes up, but we're willing to make an extra effort, um, even though there may not be as much collateral for that loan. Got it. So, so you start out in late 2008, early 2009. I mean, that was really a time where businesses were struggling. I mean, did you sharpen your teeth in the workout department or were you finding capital to help people stem the tide? How did that work out? Luckily, it wasn't. I did, I did do a little stint and workout. Luckily, it wasn't that point. Um, that was a pretty ugly spot in the workout world. So I, I went from being a business banker, um, which is really kind of going around trying to understand what, what companies do. And I covered Western Mass. So it was from Springfield to Pittsfield to Orange. It was kind of a large triangle. Um, There's about 36 different branches that I supported. So it was a lot of time on the road, uh, learning what companies were doing, what they were trying to do, and trying to help them out and say, hey, is there a small line of credit or term loan? Can we consolidate some of these? You have like 10 vehicle loans. Well, let's just make it into one. Let's kick it out over three or four years. Let's help with the cash flow. Then I transitioned because I would just get paper. So I'd get tax returns all day long, put them into the machine. The machine would say yes or no. And I was like, you know what? My success rate was probably due to 2008, 2009, but my success rate's not that, that good right now. I need to actually be able to read these tax returns, provide a, a better approach to what I'm looking at. Um, so then I went into a formal credit analysis training program here in Massachusetts. Um, I did a little time up in Toronto and I went down to Jersey. Um, so I did that for probably about two years as an analyst, really diving into to returns and reviewed and audited statements. That way I could have a better conversation with that client and say, hey, let's spend five minutes flying through your, your financials and let me write down and ask some, ask some good questions that will save you time because if, if we can't do this or this is going to be dead right away, then why are we wasting your time and my time? Right. Um, and after that, I ran a, uh, a small um, team of credit analysts when we were breaking into a new territory. And then about, I'm trying to think what year I switched over. So I did treasury management or cash management. Again, trying to understand other products and services we offer to clients. Um, so that way I could be a one-stop shop when I talk to clients. Um, did a little commercial lending up in New Hampshire. So I did about two years up in New Hampshire. Followed one of my mentors up there. Came down, did the Boston Braintree market um, at that time. My wife and I were having our first kid and uh, my travel schedule was Monday morning around three or four in the morning, drive up to New Hampshire, spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night in New Hampshire, come back Fridays. And my beautiful wife said, you know what? I'm not gonna raise our, our newborn as a single mom. I said, got it. I got the hint. Um, 
So I relocated and, and transitioned into Rockland Trust about, I guess that was five, six years ago, maybe six. Um, and now I cover kind of the greater Plymouth um, and down on the Cape. And, and uh, I have an excellent team member that's on the vineyard. Awesome. So previous to 2008, where were you? I was a teacher. Ah. So my, my background, uh, went to Annapolis, went to the Naval Academy, um, got out in January 2004, January 16th, 2004, um, and then went back in, got a master's in education, thought I was going to save the world instead of... Uh, don't throw bullets, throw books. Uh, so I taught, taught in the U.S., down in Maryland, coached a little bit down in Maryland too. Um, came up to New England, where I was originally from, and then realized that I wasn't going to be saving the world by, by teaching. So I want to do one more stint. Uh, went to Asia, did 14 months in Asia, taught in a private school, high school, math, in Taiwan. It was an excellent opportunity to see what the rest of the world was doing. And the reason I picked Asia was this was 2006, 2007, um, into 2008. And so it was, China was really becoming a strong dominant player. Everyone knew that they were around, but I wanted to, to learn more about the culture. Unfortunately, I didn't pick up any Chinese or Mandarin. Um, but it was a good opportunity. Uh, did a did a race out there, so that was fun. It was it was a good time in my life. Cool. So that explains a lot of how you counsel your clients and and partners is through your innate ability to teach. Do you find yourself counseling? I I probably spend, as you know, pick it up with my nice little sharpie over here. We haven't done a little picture session here but usually you'll see the the sharpie come out um you can talk to eve eve will make fun of me a lot uh all my all my clients will usually have either the actual picture i have uh that i drew um because i'm a visual learner or i'll take a picture and email it to them and they'll say what were we talking about and i said well you can kind of see it if you look in these notes a little bit um that's and that's the fun i think that's the passion of what i do every day is is looking at a at a business and saying okay based on, and again this is based on the numbers so I, while i do like to walk through and i think that it helps a lot doing the walk through and understanding whether it's a manufacturer a doctor's office um there's a gentleman that uh, actually makes something overseas, brings it in, and then ships it to the various Amazon warehouses and sells on Amazon. So just seeing that process is helpful. And then looking at the financials and saying, okay, this is what I can see, but where do you want to go? How do I help you get there? And being, being creative and, and learning what their passions are. And I've, I've seen a lot of companies. I mean, we're probably but to play around with numbers, I would say in the last 12 years, probably a quarter of a billion dollars were lent out. Um, and that represents between 200 and 250 clients. Wow. So 
it's and it ranges. I mean, you have the the forklift for twenty four thousand dollars, and then you have a larger M and A acquisition for fifteen million. So it's it's the full gamut, but that's what I like. It it keeps it interesting. Sure does. So how do you stay on top of these industries if you're if you're dealing with so many different industries? We we're very lucky at the bank. We have a subscription to IBIS World, IBIS World, um, which allows me to, besides watching the news and, and reading the Wall Street Journal, allows me to zone in on hey, as an industry, what is the shipping industry? All right. So shipping has gone up probably three, fourfold. What's the causes of that? Where where do they see that changing? And how does that impact my shipping customer? Well, conversely, it, it probably impacts everyone. So everyone that's bringing something in. So I have a, a, a group that works with a lot of the breweries. Well, they're importing some grain from Europe. Well, they're up threefold in terms of just the shipping. So how do I, knowing that, how do I help them out and say, hey, how are you guys getting ahead of this? What are you doing? How are you passing on some of that cost to the customers? Are you eating some of it to grow market share? Okay, what does that look like for financing? Do you need a line of credit? Do you need to look at your overall term, term debt that you have and say, hey, I'm cash rich now, but I need access to capital. All right, we'll pay down some higher interest rate items, but then get the line of credit for if and when you need it or if you need buying power. Adrian, give me an example of a, of a typical client, maybe one that you're working with right now and how right. you can help them. Let's see. So I, I got to always be careful of confidentiality. Sure. Right? Just like I always sign a disclosure whenever I walk into Mark's office. Um, <laughs> so I'm working with a trades person right now and they are, they've been a client. Um, they're building another building with cash because they're cash rich right now. Um, so I think the creative financing that that I was able to bring to this customer was since they're in the trades and they and they work a lot with the contractors, for me to do a typical construction loan would be a little bit more cumbersome and, and expensive because I'm out there every three to four weeks doing an inspection, kind of making sure that the two by fours really are plumb with everything else. They're like, hey, I, I don't need that. I, I work in this space. So for this company, again, this is, each company is different. Uh, so for this company, they, I gave them a, a large line of credit, which they're able to tap into just in case the cash isn't always there during the construction project. Now, granted, they already have their existing unit today that they're operating out of, but that line of credit gave them a little cushion to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm willing to use my cash for my new building. But if I need cash flow, working capital, I can always access this line for my normal day-to-day -day job. So we teamed up, issued the line of credit, or we're still issuing it right now. Um, and then I also looked at kind of their, their cash flow in general and said, hey, 
have you guys thought about doing a sweep? Um, also looking at some fraud, we're seeing a lot more fraud. So teaming up with my cash management guru, Jackie Nolan here, uh, I'm able to provide some services that they weren't always thinking of. They're also transitioning out. So I'd say in the next five years, um, they'll have some kind of a gifting strategy towards the next generation. So again, how do you set yourself up today to make sure that you're successful in the future and asking those questions right now allows them to plan ahead. So I teamed up with their, their attorney and their CPA and said, hey, you guys can get together. You guys figure out how to do this. We want to know as the bank just to, to understand ownership, but how do you transfer to the next generation? Does it make sense? How do you do it in the most advantageous way? You talk about you talk about fraud there uh, briefly, Adrian. What what are you um, what are you referring to? Like uh, employee fraud, wire fraud, cyber uh, attack. Mark, it is a it's horrible. I think in it started going a little bananas in 2020. 2021, I would say out of my out of my clients, I would say once a month, one of my clients would get hit with fraud. And everyone says in 2022, it's going to be even worse. So the fraud is your bookkeeper, your controller um, clicks on a link or an email, and it's from a bad person. And the bad person accesses your accounts. Well, that's, that's one type of fraud. And so what are they doing? They're sending out wires, they're changing wires instead of your normal wire that goes to anywhere, California to buy products. Now it's going to go to a different account, sometimes even in the same state, so you wouldn't even notice it. Um, it doesn't always necessarily just switch to an international wire. Other, other problems, we see, we see a lot of check fraud. I know it's the old school check fraud, but it's, it's rampant. Um, and that's a dishonest employees or dishonest employee, or to be honest, you could, we see it a lot more in whether it's payroll, if you're doing your own payroll internally, or you have a lot of seasonal people that come into town. So whether it's the trades, the restaurants, hospitality, they're doing payroll every week. There's a new influx of workers that are coming in for the summertime or for whatever your busy season is. And that person may take that payroll check home, they'll take a picture of it, deposit it, and they will just leave it on the counter or leave it on the top of the trash. And then some bad person will come and say, ooh, here's a check. Remember your check has everything on it. It has your account number, your routing number, your check number, your signature. So they'll just go to Staples right across the street, pick a new number, pick a, an amount, Maybe they'll try a first first couple rounds at maybe 500 bucks or 600 bucks, and then they'll they'll keep increasing. Um, the very organized groups will produce thousands of checks and all hit it on a Friday. Sometimes, again, the banks are not designed to catch it unless you have a fraud prevention 
So like the positive pays of the world that actually match up the check number, the person it's going to, the check amount. If they don't, a lot of times those checks will come through. We have technology to look at that um, and to see, hey, this is weird. Mark never writes checks out of this one account other than twice a year. And suddenly he wrote 500 checks. So our computers, alarm bells will go off. But a, a lot of checks go through because people aren't checking their, their accounts every day. And you need to. I so do it on my personal side. So how does that uh, positive pay uh, eliminate that? So the positive pay puts the liability back on the bank. So right now, the liability, and again, I, full disclosure, this was cash management uh, about seven years from me ago. So Jackie is my guru, but the limited ability that I know, and based on my history, the when you're writing a check and you have everyone has access to writing a check, you have a name, the dollar amount, and your routing number, and your account number, and your check number. Those are the five most important items. Your memo line, no one really cares who you're writing for. The date um, is important, but what they're doing is they're matching up those five items. As you write a check, you're sending a file to the bank. And so when we get the information, all the computers in the bank understand, hey, listen, we've checked 101. It's written to Mark Stiles for $100 because he was the pizza delivery guy. It's signed by Stiles Law. Fantastic. When Mark tries to deposit that check, he puts in the $100 check. Everything clears because we have that same check image. It's really the information, but we have that same information that matches up to that check. If Mark was tired and he said, you know what, I don't want $100 for that pizza delivery. I want $1,000. And sneaks in another zero. Whoop. When they try to deposit that into the bank, suddenly something doesn't match. That says $1,000. Our file says $100. A little alarm bell goes off. So we reach out to, in this case, it would be Styles Law and say, hey, Styles Law, it said $1,000, but you told us it was only 100. What do you want to do? Do you want to pay the 1,000 or do you want to pay the 100? So that's what the positive pay does. Got it. So there is a way to help mitigate fraud. It definitely, there's, there's tools out there. And the same is true with ACH. So if you think about when you go to Planet Fitness and they're taking $10 out of your bank account every single month, how do they know how to take it out of your account? They have your account number, your routing number, everything like that. Well, businesses have the same ACH. They can dip into your account, take out money based on what people owe them. Well, if that's the wrong amount, or if a bad guy comes in and tries to take out money from your account, again, if you have those positive pay, those fraud services, it can eliminate the risk. Got it. Got it. So why are they suggesting that 2022 is going to be even worse for fraud? Unfortunately, it keeps going up. So every year is the, the worst year. Um, the with COVID, a lot of people are working remotely, so it's it's harder to 
or this is the, the, my understanding is that it's it's harder for maybe the bookkeeper comes in twice a week versus five times a week, or you're giving access to your bank account to the bookkeeper. So now she has all of your access to everyone. And I'm not worried about the bookkeeper, but if the bookkeeper is working on 20 different clients and her computer system gets hit, well, now all 20 clients are exposed to fraud. Got it. Got it. Well, that's a little frightening. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you this. You sit down with a client. You've never met them before. You get creative. You, you uh, work with them for a six-month period of time. You loosen up capital, and you do all of these wonderful things for them. And they sit down, and they say, you know what? I want to write a review for Adrian. What does that sound like? So it's interesting. We've never, I don't necessarily get his main quote unquote reviews. I think the best review that I would ever receive is really an, an introduction to another company or another individual. So someone they work with or someone they, they trust and they say, hey, I've had great experience with, with Adrian. He was able to be creative on the financing side for, for my company, you got to grab a cup of coffee. And so the three of us grab a cup of coffee, maybe not in COVID world, maybe it's a, an email intro. Um, and the introduction to another company is probably the best referral slash review that I could ever get. What did your past experiences with both the military and teaching give you in your current career? I think both have taught me the importance of you have to you have to be in that person's shoes if you expect them to perform for you. So I I was an analyst. Well it was 10 years ago but I, I definitely was an analyst. It allows me to then go to my analyst today and say, hey, this is how I'm thinking about structuring a deal. This is the turnaround time I need it. Does this make sense? Let's get to, let's, let's work on this together. For, for her to know that I was an analyst back in the day allows her to work hard because she said, hey, Adrian does this, he knows this, he's gonna expect the very top from me. Just like in cash management, I've done cash management. I've, I'm able to kind of set the stage for when Jackie comes in and talks to the customers about it. But Jackie also recognizes that, hey, listen, I, I've done this before. I expect the A game out of, out of everyone. So I think, the military definitely teaches you for you to lead. You have to go through the trenches yourself. You can't just be in your ivory tower or be one of the generals that just hang out um, and, and don't really know what it is to be boots on the ground. And that has allowed me to expect and 
and really retain the, the best from the people that I work with. So one of the things we like to uh, talk about with the podcast is, you know, a lot of people feel as though they're expanding their comfort zone. You know, they're, they're putting themselves out there where they otherwise may not have in a medium that is still arguably in the early adopter stages. Um, another way of putting yourself out there and expanding your comfort zone is through karaoke. And one of the things we're going to do in the future is bring the guests together in a networking event so that Adrian can meet a lot of the business owners that have been on the podcast um, and get together and, and do some networking. And part of the focus of the network will be karaoke. So Adrian, Ron, it's your time up on the stage. What will you be singing? So it's funny, we've switched over to, to country more now, um, which is a little scary. You do not, well, you can enjoy this with, uh, with karaoke. It's pretty easy singing. I think, uh, I'm trying to think of the last couple songs that, so I have two little kids and they, they love to sing and dance and act crazy. And we got tired of, of the normal nursery rhymes. So we, we, we switched into to country pretty quick. And between my, my beautiful wife and my, my two crazy kids, um, I'm trying to think of the, the last song. Oh, Fancy Like. Two straws, one check, girl, I got you. Bougie like. There we go. There you go. There you go. And we even got a little taste of it, which is always, which is always amazing. <laughs> so Adrian, the most important question of them all is how would somebody who wants to do business with you and Rockland Trust get in touch with you? Pick up the phone, shoot an email, give me a text, walk into the branch, ask for, ask for me. It's whatever people feel most comfortable with. Obviously with the world of of COVID, everyone has different comfort zones, but a simple phone call, email, whatever's easiest for them. And what's that phone number? 508-789-0445. And we'll put that in the show notes below, folks, so that if you have uh, the opportunity to connect with Adrian, we highly encourage you to do so. Appreciate the invite. It's an honor to be on this, this program um, and look forward to, to doing this again. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice. 
or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.